You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Cool. All right, so we are in Angels, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, remember you're going to want to open it up. I may or may not have the verses on the screen. It's always a surprise. Uh, And while you're doing that, take a moment and uh, just turn to your neighbor, right? And we're not going to shake hands because everything's still crazy. But why don't you just go ahead and say hi to him? Give him a wave. Just let's, let's get some fellowship back in here. Not, not who you came with. Make sure you wave to someone you don't know. Now, if you're still looking at the person, do this for me real quick. Real quick, just say, say I heart you. <laughs> I heart you. Oh, okay, don't look at me and do it. That'd be very narcoleptic of me. I'm <laughs> just kidding. If you're at home, I was standing with the AV booth in the back, and we have an incredible team back there with Michael, Micah, and Christy. And if you are at home and you've been watching the live stream for the last few months, would you in the comments section say thank you to our AV team who is doing a tremendous job with video, sound, slides, and putting it all together and I'm so grateful for them. Thank you. A.V. Angels. Angels, angels. Angels in the outfield. Your loved ones are watching over you as angels in heaven. The power of angels. One day maybe we might become an angel. What are they? They're heavenly hosts. They're watchers. They're the little things on Valentine's Day that shoot you to make you fall in love, cherubs and seraphim, heavenly hosts, sons of God, ministering spirits. These are all names given to angels, some in the scripture of what I just gave and some that man has given them. Now, one of the most common beliefs, and I don't mean common beliefs amongst the world, I mean amongst Christians, unfortunately, and maybe you subscribe to this, and I'm going to blow your mind a little right now, is that when you die, you become an angel, right? That's a very commonly held belief. It's wrong, and, and I want to show you why. So essentially, an angel, the Bible is very clear, is a separate being, right? It is not the human, it is not the spiritual form of us. So when a Christian says, oh, my mother has passed away and she is now an angel watching over me. Well, no, that would be like saying my mother has passed away. She is now a giraffe watching over me from heaven. Same, same difference, two different beings. We do not become angels when we go to heaven. We, our spirit, the spirit that was dead, that Christ made alive, that goes to heaven. It is a completely separate creation from the angels, right? So when you say things like that, think about it because it has a meaning much different than what they actually are. And when we as Christians perpetuate a false doctrine about something, whether it's angels or demons or Jesus or morals, when we are the ones perpetuating it, the world gets very confused. Does that make sense? How many of you were believer, unbelievers at one point and people talked about things in scripture that you have since learned was not true but was more tradition? Has anybody ever dealt with that? Yeah, all the, almost many of us have, right? It's not actual truth, but 
It's been passed down from generation to generation, and this whole idea that we become angels is part of that. And so we're going to talk this morning, what exactly are the angels? How much power do they have, and what power don't they have? Why do they exist? Do they interact with humans? Are they invisible? Are they physical? Can you see them? Do they take on human form? Right? I was in the car crash, and all of a sudden, I felt the angel of God there by me, and and he saved me, and then when I looked up from the crash, he was gone. How many of you have heard that story, right? A lot of us. We've all heard that story. So we're going to talk about angels here this morning. We're going to be reading uh, from the book of Hebrews here, and it's fascinating to see the amount of time this author takes, right? He spends the first three verses of Hebrews 1 talking about the preeminence of Jesus, that he is in fact God, he is the very word, he is the very power, he is the very glory, the essence of God Almighty. He then spends the next 10 verses talking about angels. What? Doesn't that seem sort of like the scales are in the wrong direction there? There's a purpose and a reason though. The Hebrews, remember, who is it written to? It's written to Christian Jews, those who have converted, who believe that Christ is the Messiah. And in, in Jewish culture, angels are a very big deal. Think about it. How did Moses, Abraham, how did so many, even Mary, how did people hear about the will of God? Through prophets? And how did the prophets often hear? Through the angels, through the ministering spirits, through the heavenly hosts. And so angels held a high role in Jewish faith. And so the author here is going to show them Jesus was not an angel. He was not the archangel of archangels. He was the creator of angels, actually. He created them because he was God Almighty, because he's omniscient. Here we go. Verse 4. So, because of all what 1 through 3 said, that he is God, he is the very radiance of God, he is the righteousness of God, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God Almighty ever say, you are my son, and today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again... When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Where is this author pulling all of this? Do you know? Do you know where he's pulling it from? Is this just out of his head? Is it from one of Paul's letters? It's the Old Testament. This is Psalms. This is Chronicles. This is First and Second Samuel. He is going back and quoting the prophets. He is quoting the kings, those who were given divine inspiration through angels, many of them, and he is saying this is the one that they were speaking of. So understand that as he's going here and he's talking of angels, he is quoting the Old Testament back to these men, showing them Christ is the Almighty. There is none other we have to wait for. There is not a Messiah who will rule on the earth to defeat Rome or any other physical adversaries. This is the one. 
that our fathers, David, Moses, Abraham, the one that all of them have been preparing us for. And so he's using the very words that these men would have known, studied, and memorized to show them. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you, Jesus, will remain the same. Your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Those last, that last line, those last uh, four words, who will inherit salvation is key. It's so key. And it goes against the popular church teaching of Christianity in America today. And we're going to get to that. So there's six things that you can pull out of these ten verses. And I think I gave them as notes. I hope I did. Um, but there's six things that we're going to walk through here of how, remember, Hebrews is all about Jesus is better than. Jesus is better than all of this that has come before. So the first is this. Jesus is more superior to angels in relationship to the Father. Jesus is more superior to angels in regards to relationship to the Father. And he establishes that in verse 4, right? Okay, good, yep. Number two, Jesus is more superior to angels in that the angels worship him. They do not worship one another. They do not worship the archangel Michael. They do not worship the great messenger Gabriel. But it says that they worship him. And it's a consistent theme from the Old Testament to the New. He is preeminent. He is before them. They are a created thing. He is uncreated because he is God, their creator, and they worship him. Number three, which you can see in verse seven, Jesus is more superior to angels in that they serve him. The angels serve him. They minister to his needs. They are there at his disposal. Christ says in his time on earth, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels down. Legions. The restraint that God had as his own creation hung him on a cross. One pastor put it like this as he was talking about it. He said, have you ever played with Legos? Could you imagine all of a sudden submitting yourself and becoming one of your Lego men and being subject to abuse from the very creation that you set up? It's crazy. No, I'm, I'm the creator of the Legos. They're these inanimate little objects that humans have created. Why, why would I then become this little piece of plastic and join into their world, stripping myself of all the, the power I am, still being who I am, but stripping myself of the power so I can rescue them. It's a crazy thought, but this is what Jesus did on the cross. The angels serve 
him. Number four, in verse eight, Jesus is more superior to the angels in that he reigns on the throne of God. He reigns on the throne of God. He is at rest. He is seated. When it says that he is seated at the right hand on the throne of God, to be seated, the imagery there is he is resting. He is no longer working, right? It is finished. The work of Christ has been accomplished. And there is this idea of rest. Number five, Jesus is more superior to angels in his existence. The very existence of Jesus Christ, his, his precedence, his creatorship alone, logically, reasonably makes him more superior, right? The creation is never greater than the creator. And we know that just through simple logic of human beings and the things that we create. And lastly, at least for us here this morning, Jesus is more superior to angels in his destiny or his sovereignty. In his destiny or his sovereignty. Essentially what the author closes and wraps this up with in verse 13 is he is more superior because friends, if I can't say it enough, he is God. He was God on earth. He was God on the cross. He was God in the tomb. He was God in resurrection. And he is God now. He is God. Make no mistake about it. You see, the Bible leaves no room for us to believe he was a wonderful teacher, a great man, or a moral person, or one of the best prophets to ever live. He is God. He is God. He is God. That is it. And as such, as such, we should worship him. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. You are not born sons and daughters of God. This is a popular misconception in the church right now. Right? God would not send any of his children to hell. Would you punish your children? Would you allow your children to get into this? Would you do this to your children? We, do, we are not born sons of daughters, sons and daughters of God. We are born in the image of God. And in that sense, you could try to say we're sons and daughters. But we are not sons and daughters. In fact, the Bible makes this clear. Paul makes this clear to his audience, right? Because he knows both Jew and Gentile will come to the faith. And he says, you were born, what? Sons and daughters of darkness. You are sons and daughters of something when you're born, but it is not of God, it is of darkness. And you can choose to walk in it, you can choose to stay there. David the psalmist says it in the Old Testament. We are sons and daughters, we are born into darkness. Naturally the heart is wicked, for, for from it flow all malice, evil, deceit, anger, bitterness. And we know this to be true, don't we? Do you have to teach your kids to be mean or teach them to be kind? What? Do you have to teach your kids to be honest or do you have to show them how to lie? Which one? Lie. Honest. Lie for me. But honest. Oh, I'm lying again, aren't I? See, I still haven't learned. 
Do you have to teach your kids to be selfish or to be selfless? Friends, if you don't see that you were born not under the righteousness of God, but rather something else, it's not that it's not true, it's just that you haven't looked. Or you're blind, and you need to ask God to give you eyes to see. You don't need religion to show you that we are born with self in mind, with I am the best, my intentions are the best, my desires, me, me, me. You don't need religion to show you that. It is right there in front of you. It is every crying baby. It is every child that does not care about anything but their own wants and needs. And then if that is not dealt with as a child, it is a country full of adults who now believe the same thing. It's about me. It's about what I want. Everybody else will bend to what I want and do it how I believe it should be done. So when we get to this verse, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? He is not saying all angels are here to serve every human being who has ever lived. It is for those who will inherit, who become heirs of the kingdom of God. Does that mean that angels don't talk to unbelievers, that they don't meet with, that they don't intervene? Of course not. We know that that happens. But their primary purpose is to serve those who will inherit salvation. As we work out our salvation, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, we work it out. It is not something, bam, granted to you. What happens when you give your life to Christ is the, the, the bam part is you are justified of your sin. You are washed clean of your sin instantly. It is over, it is gone. You are no longer a slave to sin. And Romans tells us, I mean, I want to get this exactly right. Romans tells us that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. Romans 6, 20 through 23. I don't have this on the notes, so you don't have to look. It says this, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Now think about that language. You were a slave to sin, but you were free to righteousness. Doesn't that make it sound like, well, then we had all the opportunity to be righteous? No. Look at the idea of slavery. Understand the idea of it. You are bound to a master, which means you can only do what the master allows you to do. So you may be free to righteousness, but you have no desire for it. You have no ability to access it because your, your master is sin. How, so this answers that question. How is it that we can be slaves to righteousness and yet free to life, right? He answers this here. When, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? When you were a slave to sin, what kind of fruit did that bear in your life? What kind of actions, characteristics, integrity did it bear? It bore the things that now in your life you're ashamed of. Cheating, lying, lusting, hatred, bitterness, addiction, those are all the fruit of sin and death. There's more. That's just, those are all fruit of sin and death. And Paul's saying, here's the fruit that you bore when you were slaves to sin. And then he says, for the end of those things bring death. This is Romans 6, 20 through 23, by the way. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. Remember those two words, justified. When you cry out and look to Christ on the cross, justified, instantly. Sanctification, 
happens over a period of time. You do not become an instant saint. You do not be made perfect. You are not washed, uh, uh, you are washed clean, but you are not set completely free of every sin and every addiction. That's sanctifying process. It's the work of God in your life. It's the deepening of the revelation of who he is as he ministers to our hearts. Something the scriptures tell us the angels do not understand. The angels do not understand grace. Think about this. They are not omnipotent. They do not know all things. They know more than us. So much more than us. They know the plan of redemption, don't they? They're the messengers of it. They understand that what God is unfolding this plan for his creation, these things called humans, but they don't understand grace. We know that God redeemed mankind. But it says nowhere in Scripture and nowhere from the Old Testament to the current apostles, teachers, and preachers of the gospel does it say that he redeems the angels. When they fall, they fall. There is a sense of free will in them, right? We know that some of them chose evil to follow Lucifer. And so when they fall, they fall. There is no redemption for them. And they marvel at this thing called grace. We know that they continue to learn too. The scripture shows us that. I'll show you that. They, aren't, they, they haven't reached full knowledge. They are continuing to learn. And so you must ask yourself, if they already know so much, if they understand the plan of redemption, what are they learning? They themselves, like you and I, are learning about a grace unthinkable, unmeasurable by human standards. A love, a purity, a sacrifice, a kindness that so often you and I, we take for granted every single day. You woke up this morning. By God's grace, you were healthy. You made it here. You had the means to drive here. He sustains and upholds you and loves you. And the angels are in awe of that kind of grace. Now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end. Get this. The end purpose of that fruit, eternal life. Everlasting life, if we want to split here. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when I become a slave to righteousness... When, when, when my new master now is Jesus Christ and not sin and death, I become bound to the things that my master is teaching me, is showing me. And I don't get it right the first time or the second time. But the process of being under that master, not a master that is cruel, not a master that is harsh, not a master that is unfair, but a master that is perfect in love, that's become my new master. And as being someone who was under an old master, that is everything that I just mentioned, there is a process of sanctification of our spirit. And that's what he's doing. And he uses his angels to assist us in this partnership. Kind of a crazy thought, isn't it? When you understand our place as human beings in light of what God is doing and what he has uh, set up, we see that the angels, the scriptures tell us he has made us a little lower than them for the time being, and we'll talk more about that probably next week to get into that. 
but he has made us a little lower than them that we might be able to experience and understand him in a way that no other creature he has ever created will experience him or understand him. We know that if we do not praise him, the rocks will cry out, but the rocks will never understand grace. The rocks will never understand unmerited favor and love. There is something there, my friends, I want you to get and I want you to hear it. Whether you're a believer in this room or you're not, whether you just accepted Christ or you've been there for decades, is understand our position that God has given us. Yes, you were once filthy rags, right? Well, many of us continue to live out our faith with that mindset that I am a filthy rag, that I am worthless. And you've got to scrap that. No, you are now a child of God. You are redeemed to the same righteousness that Christ had, and he is working your salvation out in you. It is the process of this life. Do not become frustrated. Do not become down on yourself. Do not allow yourself to have pity on on where you stand. Your master is Jesus Christ. He is working out your salvation for you. He is walking through it with you. He will not leave you forsaken. He will not leave you alone. He became a man. He became a doulos, a servant. But he never lost who he was as God. He became a man, fully man, fully God. What what is being said here by the author is that he is not subservient to the Father in eternity. There is not a tiered structure, and many of us believe this about Jesus, there's, there, that there's you know, the Father, and then number two, there's Jesus, and number three, there's the Holy Spirit. It doesn't go like that. It's side by side, one, unified, a mystery, difficult for created minds to understand an eternal concept of one being with three distinct persons, but this is who he is, and it's consistent. This hasn't changed. You understand that? It hasn't changed. The doctrine hasn't changed over time and and fluctuated based off what culture has said. This is always who he has been. This is who he presented himself. This is what the apostles all came together in agreement on as they taught. And then what men later, as the Bible was canonized, all came together in agreement on. And for 2,000 years, we have been together in agreement on this. One God, solos fide. One God, three distinct persons. His name is greater. The name angel means messenger. They are messengers from God. They bring the messages of God. They bring the comfort of God. They'll bring peace of God in given situations. Jesus is the message. Do you understand that? The messenger cannot be greater than the message. The message that which the messenger carries while he's an important or she's an important person, the message is what is being delivered, is it not? The need for the message to get to the person who needs to receive it is greater than one who brings it. Do you understand that? He is the message that the angels bring. So God speaks through prophets at many times and in various ways. We learned that last week, right? But now he has spoken through his son, His son is that message. The coming of God was the focus of all the Old Testament. We've talked about this, and its culmination is in the New Testament. The letters from the apostles, the letters from Paul, the uh, accounts of Christ's life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the beginning of the church in Acts. And so I want you to see this here because this is really fun. 
there was this repeated message in the Old Testament that somebody is coming. And the messengers, the angels, are the primary avenue that we see over and over again bringing this message to mankind, interceding in the creation of God, these heavenly hosts, right? And sometimes God is super bold, right? He's a burning bush right there. And Moses, you can't deny it, this is God. The bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. Sometimes he destroys Israel's enemies by having giant walls of waters crash across them and destroy a massive army. And then other times he's very, very subtle. And I want to show you this one, and I'm not prone to ever showing these. I'm not into numerology and understanding 7 and 11 and the numbers and then trying to figure out where God is or making stuff up. But this one, this one's just plain. This one is just plain scripture, no needing to add anything to it or mankind's understanding. And I bet you haven't seen this. I hadn't seen it until I started getting into it this week. But I want to show you, sometimes he's really subtle about the message of redemption. Anybody ever read Leviticus or Numbers, like for fun? Have you ever thought to yourself, I have a Friday afternoon, what could I do that would be fun? I got it. Chronicles? Anyone ever jumped into Chronicles and just had a good time? No, right? We usually go to Psalms or maybe we'll go to something like a a great Old Testament character and we'll be inspired by David and the sling or Daniel and the lion's den. I I want you to see that one of the most exciting, cool, subtle things ever in Scripture is right there in the genealogies. In the genealogy of Noah, right? So let's put up the genealogy of Noah. These are the names that we find. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalalala, la 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 la. <laughs> Keep going. Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and then Noah. Ten men named from Adam, ten generations from Adam to Noah, right? These are the names, these are verified, this is the genealogy. Now, in Jewish time, names had meanings just like our names have meanings today. My name is Nathan or Nathaniel, and it literally means gift of God. I remind my wife of that about once a week. Just in case she's forgotten, she got to marry God's gift um, to her. Okay, so, so we have these meanings. Well, names have always had meanings, and in uh, the time of the Israelites and the time of God bringing his his people together, names had very distinct meanings. We know that God changes Jacob's name to what? Israel. Israelites, his people. Names have significant meanings. And so we see these names, right? So Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal. What happens when you put these 10 generations of names and we just go ahead and look at their meanings in order? Again, no interpretation needed. This is just what the names meant. So let's take a look at that. Man appointed mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. What? I, get chill. I just got chills. Anybody else get chills seeing that? Right there, there you go. In the Old Testament, the genealogy that leads from Adam to Noah the message of the Messiah is right there, that he will come and he will bring the despairing, he will bring the slaves of sin rest or comfort. My brother named their 
third son, Noah, because their first two children were so crazy, and they said, oh God, we need rest and comfort with this one, so they named him Noah, and would you believe it? He is the chillest kid of all of their children, little Noah. Rest or comfort, he will bring those who are slaves to sin, rest and comfort. God's messages, and you can leave that up there, leave that up there. Sometimes God is very uh, direct. Sometimes he makes his message super clear. Other times he's very subtle. But here's the point I want you to see this morning. He's always speaking. He's always drawing. He's always leading. He's been talking to us. He's been talking to you your whole life. There have been times when you haven't had ears to hear, when opening your eyes wouldn't help because you're spiritually blind. So it's not going to help you. But this morning is not one of those times. This morning is one of those times where even if you walked into this room with spiritual blindness, God is opening the eyes of the blind. We as pastors stood behind that wall this morning and we prayed and said, God, if your spirit is here this morning, open the eyes, unplug the ears, Take those who even know you, who have given their life to you, but have allowed apathy and boredom, have allowed comfort to settle in, God, and would your spirit reign in this place this morning. Set on fire our hearts, O oh Lord, to see you and know you. He will rule with a scepter of righteousness. You have a sheet there, and in that sheet, you will see questions that are commonly asked about angels. Who are they? What are their jobs? Are they invisible or visible? If you're, if you're watching online, we have posted it. I don't know where, but the address to where it is posted should be in the comments section. But we have posted the digital version of this. If you're online, if you want to go get the digital version of this and you're in person, you can go to the stream on Facebook or YouTube and find it. This is by a pastor named uh, I.G. Spong. I went and researched him, and then I went and researched his background, and after reading through this multiple times, this is one of the most accurate, well-done, simplistic presentations using only the gospel, no outside sources to give us an understanding of who and what are angels, and maybe almost more importantly for us today, what aren't angels? What are their limitations? What do they not do? What do we not become when we die? Do they have free will? So take that with you. It will help you as we go into next week and we talk about uh, going into chapter two, the purpose of the angelic beings, their continued, ministering, their continued ministry to God's people and just exactly what it is they are doing today in 2020. But as we close here, our chance today, our opportunity right now is for us to come before God and say, Lord, use me. Do not wait until the time has come in this country or in our neighborhood where we're in <clears throat> panic mode or response mode, right? Right now, if you lived in many of the neighborhoods across our country, in Portland, Seattle, Kentucky, Minneapolis, it would already be too late. You've already got people at your door, literally, at your neighborhood, burning it down, destroying your stuff. 
stopping your entrance into churches. Don't wait until that is happening here to get on your knees, to wake up, to say, God, how can you use me? If today didn't answer all your questions, but it piqued interest in you, if God has been reaching out to you and today understanding the, emin- the preeminence of Jesus Christ has, has opened your spirit, then go sign up for one of those classes. You will have every opportunity in those classes to ask the questions, ask the hard questions. But know this, that there will be no answer that can be given. There will be no amount of reason or logic that Chad or myself or any of the other elders here can give you when it comes down to bowing your knee before God. That takes something much greater, much greater than reason and logic. It will take a dying to yourself. It will take the very power of Jesus Christ upholding you to lay before him and say, I'm sick and tired of being a slave to sin. I lay down what I have. I don't know how to change. I don't know how to get out of this addiction. I don't know how to think differently, but God, I have a feeling you do. So I lay it down before you right now. My life is yours. Our prayer partners are going to be up front here. They're going to be in the back. And man, God's spirit is here this morning. Whether you're a believer or not, if God is reaching you, if he is drawing you out, I encourage you. Come up and pray. Get on your knees before God. Come to the altar before God. Our nation needs Christians who understand who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in humility, in repentance the power that exists in the name of Jesus the glory and the righteousness of God Almighty in human form forgive us Lord where we have been bored or apathetic rise up your sons and daughters as warriors in this time not with guns not with words of hate, but Lord, men and women armed with the Spirit, armed with the word of truth, armed with selflessness and kindness, armed with showing hate, love in return for hate received. We need you, Lord. As we come here, we partake of his supper. remind ourselves that it is not under our power that we do this. It is not under our power that I am asking you to stand up for Christ in times that are going to be very difficult, but it is by the power of his body and his blood, and that's why we partake of communion. If you're a believer here, it is a reminder to you that all things that I do are done through him, for him, and by him. In my weakness, He is, I am made strong because his strength is given to me. There is nothing I should fear. There is no valley, no shadow of death that I should be worried about because he is with me. Thank you for your body, Lord. 
to be fully God, to not have laid down your deity, to not have been a semi-God, but to be fully God and fully man in order to redeem us, to pay the penalty of sin and death. You had this body. You have this body. And we thank you. Let's partake together. As we partake of the cup, as Christ held it, he told his disciples, this is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant I am making with mankind. As we sang earlier today, there was a crimson stain and the blood of Jesus Christ washed it white as snow. Do not forget, do not forget what I have done for you here. That was the message of the cup. My blood is your new covenant. Father, we thank you for the Son. We thank you, Lord, that the relationship between the Spirit, the Son, and the Father is something that I don't need to understand. But through faith, I've seen you work. I've seen you uphold me. I've seen strength. So I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to close in worship here, and I invite you. I invite you to pray, to ask God to come against those who would come against this church. I ask you to pray to ask God to come against any demonic spirit that would come against your home or your children. And if you're here this morning and you say, I want to give my life to Christ, well, then come and give your life to Christ. I think Heather said it earlier, it's not a passive decision. You don't just sit there and be like, all right, I'll do it. You get up, you make a statement, you move forward. So let's pray and let's worship him together.